Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. And you're wondering, wait a minute, I thought you were on Mondays. Well, I am on Mondays. Mondays are the best of shows, but I am live with you every Wednesday right now from here on out uh, at 9 o'clock. And if you're not familiar with my show, you can visit the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And I've been doing this show since 2011, which is really hard to believe. And you will see and hear every guest I've had on my show, even during the pandemic. I did Zoom interviews and podcasts and everything, and uh, it really helped me, and it was a great platform for people to share their stories, and we all kind of unraveled during the pandemic, didn't we? And so you'll, you'll get to hear and see a big variety of guests that I've had on the show. But kicking off this first live Wednesday show is Melanie Brooks, and she was a guest on my show several years ago with her first book, but she's back to talk about her new book, A Hard Silence, One Daughter Remaps Family, Grief, and Faith When HIV-AIDS Changes It All. She's here with us now. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning. How are you, Janine? Good. Thanks for coming back on the show. You're my first live guest on Wednesday morning. Uh <laughs> well, that's exciting. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Congratulations on your book. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, when did you get the idea for this book, or is this just a perfect, you know, next step for your first book? Well, it's interesting because I was actually writing this book when my when the first book took place, and the first book kind of was what I needed to write to kind of get through the writing of this one. So my first book yeah. is a collection of interviews I did with memoirists who had written hard topics. And I started that process of doing those interviews with a very, very selfish purpose. I wasn't intending to write a book. I just wanted them to tell me that kind of the psychological experience that I was having and digging into my hard story was normal, that I'd get through it and I'd be okay. And so it really, it was, you know, the first book was written with the purpose of helping me get to the end of this book. That's so interesting. I, I know people have had a similar experience, and I think that holds true for myself, where you you kind of, you know, write this book, and it's it's a little kind of teaser, you know, and you're not ready right. to write that second book, but it kind of, by the end, you're thinking, okay, I'm ready now. Right, exactly. I I often kind of refer to it as, you know, every time I talk to another one of these memoirists who'd gotten through the process and published a book about their experience, it felt like it kind of oxygenated my own process. Yeah, that's what happens. So let's yeah. talk about this process for writing this book, because I know you also teach writing, correct? I do, yes. So I teach, I teach in an MFA program. I teach um, creative nonfiction in an MFA program. Have you, in Massachusetts. Have you always been a writer? I, you know, it's funny because a lot of people will say, you know, I've written since I was a little child. Mm -hmm. I wasn't somebody who wrote a lot, you know, kind of when I was younger, okay. but I've always been an avid reader. So words have always been a place where I've found solace. And mm -hmm. so I think it was kind of a natural progression for me to kind of move from the reading life to the writing life. Okay. And so for people that don't know your backstory, Tell us a sure. little bit more about yourself. Okay. So, um, you know, kind of about the backstory of my story. Is that what you're looking for? Yes. Sorry. Yes. Uh, yeah. No problem. Um, so the book that I, that I just published yesterday um, 
is the story. It's set against the, the backdrop of the HIV-AIDS pandemic of the um, 1980s, 1990s. My father had a heart attack at 42 mm. in 1985 and underwent a quadruple bypass. And during that surgery, he was given a blood transfusion, and it turned out that that blood was contaminated with HIV. And so my father contracted HIV. And in you know, for any of your audience who remembers that time period, the stigma and misunderstandings concerning this illness yes. led to a lot of public hysteria, and there was... Um, you know, a lot of risk for people who tested positive. And so my father decided to kind of minimize that risk for all of us Mm -hmm. to keep his illness a secret. And he expected that he would be dead within months. He was a surgeon. He expected that, like most patients he knew or knew about, he would develop AIDS and he would he would die very quickly. But he ended up living for another 10 years. And so we carried that secret for 10 more time. years. Oh. And um, so it's talking, you know, so the book is really, it's set against that backdrop, mm-hmm. but it's interrogating so much more than that story. It's interrogating, you know, the culture of family secrets and the impact of not being able to speak what is impacting us the most. Sure, sure. When did you realize you had experienced a lot of trauma from this, from hiding this big secret? You know, it's interesting because when I was going through it, I don't, you know, and I think a lot of people would probably say the same thing. You just kind of go through it and Mm -hmm. you're not really thinking about how you're going through it. So it really wasn't until I started spending, you know, the time revisiting so many of those memories and focusing in on, you know, those moments, those remembered moments of being scared and isolated and alone in, in all of this, that I started to actually feel the trauma itself that mm-hmm. was embedded in those memories. Yeah. It's like when we're little, we're on autopilot, and we just, exactly. we, don't, we don't know what that is, and we just, right. t- you know, we're little, and then it's not until you get older, and you, you know, I always use the term, you want kind of unravel. Well, it's true. And, you know, and I don't think we have the words to articulate the experience either at that age. You know, I think if somebody had asked me, to tell them what I was feeling and what I was thinking, I wouldn't be able to do it in the same way that I can looking back at myself mm-hmm. from this vantage point. Wow. Uh, by the way, congratulations. The book you said came out yesterday. What does it feel it like to have this this next one out in the world? It's pretty exciting. I had a big launch event last night, and so, and it was with, you know, it was in my hometown. It was with my community. Some of my family came, and so it was it was a really nice way to kind of begin this, bringing this book into the world, to be mm-hmm. kind of giving it, putting it into the hands of people who know me, who love me, who support me. Yes. And so I'm excited, you know, I'm kind of excited to to see where it takes me. I have a pretty extensive book tour set up, and I'm looking forward to um, to just talking about it. You know, yeah. when, you've, when you've kind of, I mean, you know, as a, being a writer yourself, when you are working on something, it's a very lonely process. Oh, yes. And, you know, <laughs> at some point, you really want people to know what you've been doing. <laughs> so yes. this process for me has been a 10-year process of getting this book out into the world. So yes. I kind of want people to understand, like, here's what I've been doing. I know. You, you, it's like you were in a cave, and people are like, oh, right. there she is. Where, where has she been? Yeah, exactly. No, no, exactly. I, I get it. I do have a question because yeah. I kind of went through this. Do you, 
Did you have a feeling ever, maybe you didn't, of what if people don't like it or it doesn't resonate? Oh, I have that all the time. Okay. I mean, I think I think that's pretty standard that most writers have that fear, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of kind of, you know, extra fears that dig into that as well. Like, what if certain people don't like it? What yeah. if, you know, <laughs> somebody, you know, this particular person says yeah. something about it? But I also, yeah, I think we all, we all really were putting our, our work out there and hoping, with the hope, it's not, usually it's not self-serving, right? We're yes. doing it because we hope it's going to help somebody. We hope it's going to resonate with their experience in some way. And so I think the greatest fear is, well, what happens if it doesn't? What if people read this and don't identify with anything yes. in it. So I certainly have that, and I'm sure for you as well. Yes. I, I do have this feeling, and maybe you do too, if it's great to be at this point in your life where uh, you can be transparent and right. not, not feel like you're holding back and you're not being authentic. Right. Right. Well, I, I mean, that's been the big thing for me with this book is that you know, and I talked about this actually. Somebody asked this question um, last night at my launch, and I was I was telling them that you know the decision to start writing this and talking about this story that I had carried in silence for so long came with that feeling of you know for so long I've had this barrier that has kept people from really seeing me and knowing me and has kept me from really connecting with people because it's always this thing between us right. you know yes and so I I feel very much that part of my purpose in writing this book was I wanted to be authentic this story is a big piece of who I am and if people want to know me they have to know this story definitely so without giving too much away, can you just uh, give us a sense of, you know, how you came about writing this and some key points you'd like listeners to know? Sure. I mean, for me, I think most memoirs, memoirists begin writing, and I'm sure, you know, with your current book that you wrote about the pandemic and mm-hmm. mental health crisis, we do it out of something that we're experiencing in our lives in the moment, right? Like we right. kind of start writing into something that's happening in the moment. And, you know, that's kind of where I began, and I think I was kind of interrogating some of the you know, kind of experiences I was having as an adult and wondering how did that connect to my past. And I, you know, so I I kind of began the process and the project as a personal thing to try to understand what I was doing, you know. Sure. And I think what happens is, you know, for a lot of us who are doing that, I mean, I think for some people that's where it ends. You know, they write about it, they feel better, they've processed it, they understand it, and that's where it ends. But I think for some of us, we start writing, and we go through that processing, and then we start to recognize that there's more to this story than just something for ourselves. Oh, yes. And we're, you know, we start seeing that there might be something for other people in what we're writing. And that, and that shift, I think, is what kind of propels us to put it out into the world because we're thinking maybe if one person, you know, reads my story of isolation and feels a little bit less alone, mm-hmm. then I've done something good from it, Definitely. you know? Yes. So that's that's one of the big takeaways. And, you know, my the big kind of question that hovers over my story is what is the impact of silence? What is the impact of not being able to speak about our pain and our suffering? Mm-hmm. And so that's where I kind of take us as readers, you know, kind of taking through this experience of being silent about what was most damaging and painful in my life and how learning to talk about it has 
brought me to a very different place and a different place of kind of the way I carry this story, too. Sure. I, I also feel that your work uh, would inspire other people to open up because it might not be HIV AIDS, but it might be uh, trauma from abuse when they were younger. And exactly. I, I think a lot of this, actually, I don't think I know a lot of this came out during the pandemic because people were sitting you know, in their thoughts and having to be isolated. And um, for myself, I had to start seeing a therapist. And, right. and I realized how uh, trauma affects you mentally, physically, and emotionally and holds you back from fully growing. Exactly. And I think, you know, and I, I say this, you know, whether your story has anything to do with HIV AIDS, mm -hmm. doesn't matter. I mean, I think we all have lived some experience of not being able to speak about something, not being yeah. able to feel secure enough to share something important, or having to carry family secrets, right? I right. think we've all kind of been in those places. And so it does, you know, it does speak to kind of more universal experiences, you know, whether you lose somebody to HIV AIDS like I did, or you lose somebody to, you know, any other form of illness or health crisis or other, other experience, you know, we're all going to face grief and loss throughout mm -hmm. our lives, and we need more stories that show what that's like. Yeah, I agree. And because by you writing this book, and, and you have write essays and other things, you I feel that you inspire other people to, you know, share their experiences, their thoughts to move forward in healing. I hope so. I hope so. You know, I want to create space. I mean, my favorite thing is when somebody comes and says to me, you know, when I read your experience, it made me feel like I could talk about mine, you know, Beautiful. and, and yeah. I'm sure, you know, like I think about your book, Better Humans, and I think, you know, you're writing about mental health crisis. You're writing about, you know, experiences that people have all experienced very recently with the pandemic. And, yes. and I am sure that you've had the same experience of people coming to you and saying, you know, thank you for articulating oh, yes. what I was feeling or what yes. I was going through. And I think that's our responsibility sometimes as writers is we have the ability to articulate what others sometimes cannot. And yes. so I feel like it's important for us to use that skill and do something good with it. I agree. And, by, mm -hmm. and thank you for mentioning my book. I appreciate that. Um, oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. I, I want to share something with you. So I was in New York last week, and yeah. uh, I've been telling people this. And one of the experiences I've had uh, as a writer is becoming a better listener and, and realizing that, that my experience uh, doing qualitative research, so interviewing people, looking at themes popping up and right. what they say, has really helped me as a writer. And so I'm I'm riding in a cab and an Uber last week and I would talk to the drivers and yes. I would ask them because New York is just, I feel, crumbling. There is such a massive amount of people experiencing homelessness. You have the immigrants coming in, going into the Roosevelt Hotel. Uh, there's, sure. everybody was telling me, do not take the subway at night, please do, do not do that and be careful. And there's so much more crime, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm speaking to the cab drivers and the Uber drivers. And I said, so, so how has the city changed since 2019 or 20? And I'd get this response <sighs> or, oh. um, or <laughs> how do you feel? I told them, they asked me what I did and I told them about my book and they, I, they said, 
oh my goodness. You know, like that was the response of you, you wrote about sure. the mental health pandemic. And people are just going through so much, even post-pandemic, there's so much trauma. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You're right. And, you know, it's interesting that with my story, I think it would it would have a different resonance if the pandemic hadn't happened. But in many ways, I think people are able to look at my experience with the HIV AIDS epidemic and see, you know, intersections with the COVID pandemic. And yes. one of the things I talk about is, you know, we were all experiencing this collective trauma during the COVID pandemic, everybody was going through this. But I think, you know, kind of shift your thinking and imagine what would it be like if you were the only one, oh, right? Yeah. And and that, you know, I think people are able to relate to the experience that I went through mm-hmm. because they understand what it was like to do it collectively. Yes. And they can imagine what it would be like if there wasn't anybody else going through that in their lives at that time. Yes, well, and the other thing I think of with your writing is the fact that um, a lot of students and adults, you know, they went back to school or work, and it's not mm-hmm. business as usual. It's, you no. know, you have to address the trauma that people have gone through the past few years in order for them to move forward productively. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And as you said earlier, authentically, right? Yes. If we can't talk about these things, if we can't, you know, have conversations and discuss them, then we're just kind of pushing it back somewhere else that it's not going to be acknowledged and it's going to emerge again at some point. Definitely. I want to ask you how you decided to uh, work on a certificate of narrative medicine at Columbia. That's fantastic. Well, well, I was very, you know, the MFA program where I teach was starting to introduce the concept of narrative medicine, particularly through a writing lens, which is, you know, kind of write, writing these healing narratives. And I looked at my own story and recognized, you know, my my story has a lot of those intersections, you know, with kind of what it's like to live through an experience of healthcare. What You know, my father was a surgeon, so I also have some of the medical perspective on that as well. And, you know, narr- the whole kind of goal of narrative medicine is to help provide, you know, the tools that come from the humanities, our ability to read closely, our ability to kind of look at content and structure to help, you know, kind of more humanize healthcare practice, right? By sure. by giving practitioners these tools, by giving them these skills, we're helping them to listen more closely to story. And I think the intersection that started to happen is both practitioners, the lived experiences of practitioners have become really important, these personal stories that are written about what they've been through, but also the personal stories of patients and caretakers. And so it felt like a very natural progression for me to kind of take that focus. And so Mm -hmm. it really spoke, you know, it resonated with my own writing, but it also resonated with a lot of the goals that I have with this story. That's amazing. Now, I have to ask, but do you have an idea (laughs) for your third book? You know, it's funny because (laughs) I I have certain ideas kind of I'm tossing around. I started, during the pandemic, I started a novel, actually, that... I think I might return to, you know, for a while and see what happens with that. But I also, you know, within the book writing, I'm also do, I also do a lot of, you know, essay, personal essay writing. And that's always present. That writing for me is, you know, I'm always kind of 
whatever is going on in mm-hmm. my life at the time that feels resonant, I'll write about it. And so that work continues. So it's kind of a mix of things right now. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. Anything else you'd like people to know about the book and where can they find it? So they can find it at, you know, any booksellers. They can you know, they can find it a hard silence called and they can also go to my website melaniebrooks.com and they can find um, links to where they can purchase it as well. Fantastic and your book tour is on there as well right? It is yes I have an events page that has all of places I'll be going and where I'll be speaking. That's great and for people that are not you know in your neck of the woods do you ever teach remotely? Sometimes I do yes Um, if any you know one of the organizations that I often teach workshops through is called the Maine Writers and Publishers Alliance, and they've started offering a lot more of um, online workshops, and so sometimes I do workshops with that, and there are some opportunities on my, um, on my events listing that there are some virtual events as well. I interviewed the woman who owns the island in Maine. Do you know who I'm oh, talking about? I do know who you mean. I can't think of her name right now. Um, it's on my show blog. I was going to try to find it. But uh, I could see you teaching there because she does have people that teach workshops. That'd be great. I'd love that. Maybe I'll send you yeah. the information. I, I think that would I, be incredible. I'd love that. I, I might have to come to. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much and congratulations uh, on your thank book. You. It's such an important well, book. Well, congratulations to you too, Janine. I know that your book came out about four weeks before mine did. So I'm, I'm thrilled for you as well. Thank you so much. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to talk to you. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Melanie Brooks talking about her new book, A Hard Silence, One Daughter Remaps Family, Grief, and Faith When HIV AIDS Changes It All. If you missed any part of this conversation, it will be up uh, within an hour after I wrap and it'll be available as a podcast on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. We'll take a little break, and then we'll be back. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.